privilege to be able to be here, isn't it? And if you're at home, you're privileged too because you get to sit in your PJs with a cup of coffee in your hand and whatever else makes you feel comfortable. Well, I hope that you're not going to be comfortable right through the next 15 minutes or so. Um, I just want to challenge a couple of things. And I'll, I'll try to be nice because when I'm, if you ever point a finger, you've got to remember that there's another three fingers pointing back at yourself. So anything we want to point out in someone else's life, we're also uh, addressing our own stuff because we're all exactly the same. We're all tarred with the same brush. Cliff Richard sang it a long time ago. He said, uh, no, Randy Stonehill. He said, we're all the same. And when that is understood, we can start to live again. Look him up, Randy Stonehill. Back in the heady days of contemporary Christian gospel music in the 70s. <clears throat> uh, I'm always looking for confirmation of uh, the message I feel I have to bring. And because, you know, it's a, it's a dodgy game, this preaching thing. You kind of, you come up with an idea or a scripture or whatever and you think, is that what it's supposed to be? Is, that, is this the message, Lord? Do you want me to say this stuff? Anyway, uh, my theme today is wild hope. And the idea of a wild hope is one that it's beyond the natural hope. Um, back in the 70s, I tried making bread. Yes, I know my name's Baker and I'm not a baker, but uh, I stuck this mess in the oven. Uh, it was back in the hippie days when you didn't use plain flour, you used all this whole grain flour and whatever else, and stuck it in the oven in hope. Well, my hope was displaced because it came out exactly the same height as I put it in. It looked like a brick. I thought it tasted pretty good with peanut butter on it. I don't think Judith ate any of it. But uh, I was impressed. But my hope was this kind of hope. Well, wild hope, the, the supernatural hope that God gives us is bigger than that. It's more determined and it's, it's got a um, tenacity about it. It wants to get hold of the realities that God presents us with and say, because I believe in that, I have hope. So we're talking about wild hope today. <clears throat> and just to give you an idea of all the confirmation that's come my way, last week, how many times did you hear the word hope spoken? Can you remember last week's um, uh, meeting? In the prayer time before the meeting, it was mentioned. Sarah mentioned it several times in church. Sandy mentioned it. Chris mentioned it in his message. And I thought when Chris started talking, I thought, oh, no, he's giving my sermon for next week. <laughs> but uh, he didn't. But that gives me great assurance that today's message is the right one for today. I've just finished reading this book, The Happiest Man on Earth by Eddie Yaku. He's a Jewish guy. Um, he only died in October at age 101, I think. Uh, yeah, he, anyway, he was, a, he was born into a Jewish family and grew up in a German city called Leipzig. So he was a German citizen, but Jewish roots and Jewish culture. So they celebrated the Jewish faith in their house. But the, and that was all fine and dandy. And in the town of Leipzig, um, he was educated. He had a good education and he grew up, had friends everywhere. Until the 30s when Adolf Hitler began his manic ethnic cleansing. Doing all he could to rid the world of all Jews, gypsies, gay people and disabled people. That's the sort of freak that he was. 
then suddenly Eddie started to feel like an alien in the town where he had grown up and had his friends and was educated. Eventually he was sent to a notorious concentration camp called Auschwitz and he went to another one too called Belson, I think it was, where he suffered humiliation, starvation and torture. If you have any idea or read any stories about people who went through the Nazi concentration camps, you know what he suffered. It was not pretty, it was inhuman and it was debilitating. Very sad story. But towards the end of his biography, he has this to say. I'll get to the page where my feather marks the spot. Ta-da! Remember those? You've forgotten already. He said towards the end of the book, I have a belief that if you can hang on to hope, your body can do miraculous things. Tomorrow will come. When you're dead, you're dead. But where there is life, there is hope. So why not give hope a chance? It costs you nothing. And then he says, and my friend, I lived. Good book. Get a hold of it and read it. It's not the sort of book you want to read when you're going to sleep at night. And then uh, we sung this morning, Hope Has a Name. Then um, <clears throat> there was a Facebook post that put, it was put up by Merv Holland, who's a retired officer. He said this just a couple of days ago, Hope is called the anchor of the soul. Now that's taken from Hebrews 6.19 because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish, a wish that such and such would take place like a bread, a loaf of bread rising. Rather, it's that wild hope which latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. So briefly this morning, I want to just bring out three scriptures from the, from the Bible and a couple of stories from history's page. And this is 2022. We've started and it's not looking all that good at the moment. But Christmas has come and it's gone again. So for a few days, we thought about the beautiful Christmas story and we move on. But that history-defining event is worth thinking about any day of the year, correct? It's not just something you tuck away tidily for the 25th of December. Here we have a, have a story of a young bloke called Joseph who was breaking the law knowing that what he should do with a seemingly adulterous woman was divorce her. So he doesn't divorce Mary as the law clearly stated that he had to do, even though he had no direct way of knowing that the baby that was conceived by the Holy Spirit within her was, was fed income. It was really what had happened. You can imagine a young Joseph thinking, blimey, I hope that this is fed income. Did I hear that angel right? Look, this was dangerous ground for him culturally and socially and for Mary too. It wasn't a neat, tidy story. We didn't have neighbours and friends going, oh, this is so cute. It was like, really? Yes, this is a divine baby that's growing inside my womb. Mm, okay, whatever. So there would have been a lot of criticism, a lot of pressure, a lot of embarrassment and discomfort for this young couple. But this young Jewish guy had this wild hope that made no logical or cultural sense because what Joseph had was not just a deep devotion to his girlfriend. He did have that, his fiancée. He knew that Yahweh was in this dangerous situation. It was God's idea and he dared to believe that. So friends, it can certainly lead us to wonder why so much of Christianity has become so legalistic when we have at its very beginning a man who broke the law 
to protect the dignity of the woman that he loved. We clearly have a couple of young married kids suddenly homeless, and they were soon to be refugees or immigrants in their flight to Egypt shortly after Jesus was born. So my question today is, where is this God that we sing so much, so much about revealing himself? Is it in the nice, safe places like in this building? He's certainly not in the safe world, from my experience and the experience of many millions of other people. But at the edge, at the bottom, among those people and places where we don't want to find God, where we don't look for God, and where we don't expect God. The way we've shaped Christianity over the centuries, one would think it was all about being nice and middle class and normal, whatever normal is, and under the law. Maybe the reason that our knowledge of God is so limited is because we've been looking for God in places we consider nice and pretty, like right here. Is that where you have your hope anchored? Is your hope based on what happens here for an hour, an hour and a half on Sunday? Instead, God chooses the ordinary and the messy. So if, if it tells us anything, the Christmas story does tell us that the divine is hidden quietly inside the human. The holy is quietly hidden in the physical and the material. Therefore, we have every reason to live in hope and trust and in confidence. There's an old song we used to sing many years ago, and it said, God is still on his throne and he will remember his own. Though trials oppress us and burdens distress us, he never will leave us alone. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on his throne. So here's three things from Scripture to keep in mind about this crazy, irrational, nutbag, wild hope that we have, or we say we have, as followers of Jesus of Nazareth. First one is from 1 Corinthians 1.9. It says, hold on to hope, for God is forever faithful. Hold on to it. That's what Eddie Yaku did through this terrible time in World War II as he spent long, debilitating nights and days in a concentration camp. They didn't even have beds. They had wooden benches and there wasn't enough room for the many people, the many men and women who were in that room. So they had five to a bench. No blankets in the middle of winter. But he hung on to this, this hope that it will come to an end. Hold on to hope for God is forever faithful, says 1 Corinthians 1.9. And a classic illustration of this is Abraham. He's a supreme example because it says in Romans 4, he said, Abraham against hope, in hope believed. In other words, against natural hope, the bread in the oven or the dough in the oven type hope, fingers crossed hope. Against that, he had the supernatural hope that what God said he would do would come to pass. And so here he is, he's about 90, and he goes home to his wife Sarah after he's heard from God. And he says to Sarah, I've just had a dream. And she goes, yeah, right. What are you having for dinner tonight? No, no, really. We're going to have a baby. That's a wild hope for a 90-year-old guy and a 90-year-old woman, eh? A crazy wild hope that possessed him despite his age and Sarah's age. 
So the first one there is hold on to hope. Get a grip on it. Hold on to hope. The second one is from Ephesians 1.18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those who he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Understand the confident hope. That's the point. That's the second point. Understand it. It ain't natural. It ain't logical. But it's fair dinkum and it's radical in its confidence. So understand that this hope is bigger than any of our circumstances or anything we pass through or relationships, good or bad, or church. Hope is bigger than that. So understand the confident hope. And the third one is Romans 15, where it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember the last time I spoke here, I was, talk, I was trying to explain what the, the concept that the Holy, we've got all of the Holy Spirit we're ever going to get. Don't ask for more of the Holy Spirit, right? It's theologically unsound and doctrinally incorrect. But more importantly, we can misunderstand God's presence if we expect more of his spirit to be poured out when we need to allow him to be released from within us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are born of the spirit. He resides within us. If we want God to move, it's up to us as broken vessels to release him from within us, to do his work. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. So how does that look? Let's bring it in the land here because this is the important point for today, right? How do we overflow with hope? What's it look like? Social media is full of harsh comments and venting and unkindness, correct? Pointed opinions invite heated replies and stoke the fire of senseless debate. It goes on and on and on. It's such an easy thing to sit behind a screen as a keyboard warrior and say things you would never have the guts to say face to face, correct? How many times have you clicked send or post and then immediately wish you could get the words back? Do you know you can't put toothpaste back in a tube? Words get out, they're out. You say something dumb on social media, it's there for all eternity. Well, until the Lord gets back and wipes the whole thing clean. Woohoo! You can't take back words once they've been spoken or sent. And if we aren't cautious, our opinions can turn into words spoken in judgment. You see? We've got to speak hope. Nothing else. Speak hope. Speak encouragement. Speak life. I've known so many people, myself included, who have regretted words spoken or typed in a moment of passion or frustration. But I've never known anyone who regretted thinking it through first and then withholding them. Hey? That's on reflection, you think, thank you, Jesus. I'm glad I thought that through and didn't hit send or post. Because you know it could have been quite destructive. Words carry enormous power, the power to heal or wound, to encourage or discourage, speak hope or judgment. 
a great question to ask ourselves before we respond in the heat of the moment is this one. What is the potential outcome from the words I'm about to say? Will my words speak life or death? Will they speak hope or discouragement? In the sharing time last week, Sandy was sharing about the wonderful relationship she has with her husband, Guy, and it's a real relationship, and she said quite publicly, you know, that uh, sometimes when we love very deeply, but sometimes we butt heads. I never knew that. <laughs> Welcome to the world of relationships. We argue, we reconcile. So easily we can damage those precious relationships that we have, whether it's with a spouse or some other network or a family member even. It's usually by the words we say that we can damage people. Personalising it, I can spit out resentment, judgment, opinion or retaliation or I can gently speak love, affirmation and encouragement. So this is our mandate, friends, as salvationists, as followers of Jesus of Nazareth. The start of 2022 with the virus still hanging around our door, we who dare to claim this wild hope for ourselves are called to be the ones who hold on to hope, understand it, and overflow with it. How are you going with that? How many times have you spoken and it hasn't brought encouragement or life or positivity into a situation? Let me pray for us before we go any further. Father, in this new year we've just started, the world is a pretty distressing and confusing place to be. So many voices in the media could make each of us feel devoid of hope. Help me to ground my heart in the certainty of your love for me and the power of the resurrection of Jesus who knows my future. Help me, Lord, as I build my life on this firm foundation. Amen. If you're an older person, you may recall this old song too. We have an anchor that keeps our souls steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. Can we have the band up, please? So here we go. 2022. We've got this beautiful, wild, crazy, irrational hope because we believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the one he says he is. We believe that when he was born, he was born with a purpose to be in this world, to experience humanity or humanness, and then to go to a cross at the age of about 33. So his mum, Mary, would probably would have been 47, 48 or something at the most, and she stood there at the foot of the cross and watched her son, whom she had born and raised and seen as a little toddler, stumbling, learning to walk, losing teeth, maybe getting into a punch-up with another kid, and then becoming a teenager with all that means, and seeing him take his place in the tabernacle and learning the Holy Scriptures 
and knowing them well and realising that he himself was the fulfilment of many of those prophecies. And when he went to that cross and that blood was shed, his blood poured out, it was for you and me. My hope is in this fact. I hope and I trust that the blood of Jesus does cleanse sin from my heart. Are you with me? Do you believe that the blood of Jesus is absolutely central to the gospel? The army flag has on it, the Salvation Army flag has blood and fire written on it. Sounds gruesome, but it keeps that uppermost in our thinking when we think about what Salvation Army represents. The blood of Jesus is able to cleanse sin from a dirty heart, a sinful heart. And the fire of the Holy Spirit cleanses and keeps it warm and empowers it to go out and spread this message about salvation, about redemption for anyone who chooses to believe and follow Jesus. So that's where my hope is stayed today, on the person of Jesus. Hope has a name, Jesus. We're going to sing now and invite you to just reflect on what you are saying in this song. I will build my, what's it say? I lost that. I will build my life upon your love. So let's just sit where you are. You don't have to stand up right now. Just sit, contemplate, sing, think about it, and think through what is my hope in? Why do I have hope? Do I have any hope to start this year? And friends, you can have this hope, this powerful hope when you learn and begin to trust Jesus.